This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 352 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show, the eventing kennelman. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Chasing a Fox in a Little Black Dress, Bimita Dewormers, and Dr. Rose's Remedies. In this month's fox hunting segment, we have an eventer that decided she loved the hounds so much, she became their full-time kennelman with the Santa Fe West Hills Hunt. Plus, we take a look at a scratches remedy in the Tack and Habit segment. That and more to come, so pitchforks down and on with the show. Welcome to the Stable Scoop with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hail or high water while using their tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on down and laugh till your poop, cause it's time again for Stable School. Stable scoop. Stable scoop. Stable scoop. This is Glenn the Geek. And this is Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Well, howdy, Helena. Hi, Glenn. I have to say, I absolutely love your so pitchforks down. I know. I like that too. I came up with that this morning. <laughs> it's like, oh, I that's love fun. it. So pitchforks down and on with the show. We have a new thing. It's a new thing. It's a new thing. We need a new thing. It's been a couple of years. Yeah, that's right. We, uh, there's our new thing. We, now we're good for another couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be putting the new thing everywhere we can now, too, until we're going to overuse it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I don't have to think anymore for another couple of years. I'm good. It's great. Hey, we, we had... Cool show, right? I'm What's psyched. That? We have a cool show. Yes, fox we hunting. have a fun show. We're going to be talking to a little fox hunting with a cool girl out in California. And uh, we got the Tack and Habit segment. And I have something for you before we get started with the uh, with our first guest. Uh, two things. One is our friend Darlie Newman from Equitrekking asked me to mention a contest that she's doing with Ariat right now where you can win a rideaway dream vacation and also $1,000 in Ariat gear. And they're doing that. In conjunction with Equitrekking, and you can find, we'll put a link in our our show notes and also a link on our Facebook page to get to the spot where you can sign up. No cost or anything to sign up, and uh, Darley would have been here. She was uh, maybe going to join us on the show today. Uh, however, she was on her way to some foreign destination today to uh, do some more shooting. So she said that she is on her way for to Belgium. Uh, to film. <sighs> Darlene <laughs> so, Newman. I want to come back as Darlene Newman in my next life. I know. She's on her way to Belgium till the 25th. She's going to be spending 10 days over there. So oh, man. it's kind of nice. Must be nice to be Darlie. I know. Well, you know what? She's young and cute and, you know, she's like immersed in her career. We've been there. We've done that. We're like... We're, we're looking to cruise now. <laughs> well, we don't want to do any more climbing. We just want to right. cruise. <laughs> well, good for her. She's, uh, she's doing well with the show, and uh, I'm glad to see that she has terrific sponsors like Ariad. So you can check that out. I came across this, and I wanted to talk to you about it and see how you thought, uh, what you thought of this. We've never discussed it. Wait, you want my opinion on something? Yes. This is on Horse Junkies United at horsejunkiesunited.com. I don't know who the author is. They didn't put the name of the author, which is kind of odd. Uh, but it, it's in their Money Matters segment. And the title of the article is Gimme, 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 How to Buy a Horse Using Kickstarter or Not. And uh, we've all seen this now where, where horse people have used crowdfunding campaigns to buy their own horse you know, just their own horse to go out and either ride or, or compete with. You know, I've seen them, I've seen people do it at higher levels. Uh, and then I've also seen people who just want to buy a horse. And this article goes on to say, spend any time, of, uh, time on social media and you're sure to find someone in the horse world asking for money for an, uh, uh, on any of the fundraising websites and to buy their own horse. Well, she says it's a dumb idea and you shouldn't do it. It's kind of rude. And, you know, she just goes on to say that uh, that 
you know, step away from the fundraising sites and do it the way that most people have done it in history, and that is save money and buy a horse. Uh, and then she goes on to tell all the different ways that she saved for a year to be able to buy her horse. And I thought, you know, all of us have, have done that to buy something, in life, you know, whether it be your horse, and I've certainly done it to buy horses in the past, or ponies, or whatever I've owned, and Jennifer's certainly done it to buy horses. So, do you have you ever supported somebody to buy a horse on a Kickstarter or one of those campaigns? No. What do you think about it? I think it's a great idea. Oh, you do? <laughs> yeah, I think they're both great ideas. You know, there are two ways to get the money that you need for something. You can either save for it, or you can raise it. And, um, you know, my first instinct when the Kickstarter campaign started coming out for all kinds of, I don't want to call them trivial things, but, you know, first world things, um, these, these crowdfunding campaigns started for some very, um, altruistic reasons and, um, or they all know in America that doesn't last long. (laughs) Right. And they had, you know, there was a good business plan behind them. Um, and then, of course, everybody jumped on board. But here's what I think. Here's why I think it's a good idea. Because it it helps people to learn. If this is something that they really want to do, we all have to get out there and pitch something. Whether it's we're pitching our resume for a job or we're in sales and marketing and we're selling advertising or we're selling a product or we're developing a product or we're designing a new car or we're trying to get a sponsorship for uh, our upper-level eventing career you need to decide that you want something and then you have to come up with a plan on how you're going to get it. So I think doing these Kickstarter campaigns is a way to test those waters. Um, my guess is that people who are a little less experienced at raising and saving money will go right to the Kickstarter campaign because it's it seems like it's an easier way to get the funds for what you want, um, which to me then means it's a good learning tool. You know, you could put your, you could start your Kickstarter campaign See, I and get nothing as, but crickets. Well, that's well, what most of them do, actually. <laughs> then um, that's fine. You then they. But I look at it exact opposite of that. I look at it as a way to get easy. You're just looking at it as a way to get easy money, and you're not learning anything except that if I ask people to give me money, and I don't have to work for it. And you know what, Glenn? That's what the American economy is based on. Unfortunately, is it gross? Yes. Does it work? Hell yes. Yeah, it does. I just, it's, I don't know. There's always low-hanging fruit to be picked, unfortunately. I think there's also a difference between a professional rider getting a sponsor. They're, they've paid their dues to get to the point where you, a sponsor will even sponsor them. Um, you know, they've done that. They've paid their dues. But, you know, she has a sentence in here. She says, I know it's a shocking revolution to think that someone should and could buy their own horse by making sacrifices. But alas, it can be done. And without the help of your parents or you know, a Kickstarter campaign. Uh, I would much rather see someone go for a Kickstarter campaign than to hit up mom and dad for the cash. And, uh, you know, I, because there's nothing to be learned. I think there's nothing to be learned from hitting up mom and dad. I think I, I don't think there's anything to be learned by asking for it and getting it for just doing nothing either. No, but there's a greater risk of rejection. And then you have to overcome that objection or you have to, it's, it's an opportunity to learn that either you're, you hit the market the right way and you get your cash, or you didn't hit it the right way, and you've got to try, you know, plans B, C, and D. And those may be just save your money, you know, get a job and save your money. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I wanted to hate it, but I, I just can't. I guess the entrepreneur in me says, you know, try any way you can to raise the funds. Just have a plan. You know, I got to tell you, this is what this girl did. And uh, this is why I disagree with you, because, uh, you know, this is how a lot of people do it, uh, is they do, they do, this is how a lot of people should do it, because I think she, this girl learned more of a lesson than somebody who does a Kickstarter, just asks for money and then gets it for whatever reason. Again, I'm throwing professional riders out of the mix, you know, just somebody who wants a horse. Um, she took off a year of riding, didn't ride at all, didn't take lessons, didn't do anything. So she saved all that money. She stopped drinking. There's a dramatic one. Um, <laughs> alcohol, that is. I know, kidding. <laughs> I no kidding. Ate, but she said, she's right. Alcohol ranges from 3 to $20 a drink, depending on where you are. And it is expensive, you know. Yeah. Um, she ate healthy uh, and she, she stopped eating out. She only ate out once a week, which is tough. 
Uh, she found an inexpensive two-bedroom apartment. She cut her rent costs down. She got a part-time job in addition to her full-time job and saved all that money. Uh, sort of like the Jay Leno approach, who never, you know, who never spent any of his Tonight Show money. He saved all of that. But then he mm-hmm. could. I mean, when you're making that much money, you can do that. Uh, stopped buying things she didn't need. And then she developed a plan of what of, to put that money away every month. And after a year, she had enough money to buy her horse. So, you know, there's somebody who really, I think, probably learned more of a lesson, don't you think? No. I think she put a lot more effort into it. But I think the lesson... She had already learned the lesson before she set out to do what she did. I think the lesson was already in her heart, and she just executed on it, which is if if the entire world could work that way, we'd be in a great place. And of course, you know, the the people who are doing the the Kickstarter campaigns, and I've watched several of them that are just, you know, looking, they just want a horse. It's a teenager who wants a horse. And, you know, 99% of the time they don't get funded. So they end up having having to come back to this anyway, if they're really dedicated. Exactly. And they've learned that you can't just ask for money and get it. You gotta, you, you gotta work for it. Now this girl had already, it was, like I said, she already knew, she had already learned that lesson. I need to save, I need to cut things out, I need to cut back on my entertainment. That's how I got my horse. You know, I, I shop at thrift stores for my clothes and I mow my own lawn and I do all my own everything. I didn't go out to eat. I drove a car whose windows were broken for (laughs) two years and didn't have air conditioning, you know. You sacrifice some things in order to have the things that you want, really. But not everybody realizes that. So, all right. Well, agree to disagree. Yes. On that one. All right, good. Well, it was a good discussion, though, and I'd be interested to see. I uh, have to post that as a question on on Stable Scoop and put a link to this article because I, I'd be interested to see what the listeners think of that, too. Yeah. Well, coming up next is our first guest. Her name is Chloe Smith. She's of the Santa Fe West Hills Hunt. She's an ex-eventer or current eventer. We'll find out. And she has taken on a new job at the hunt. And we're going to find out about that as well. Hello, Chloe. Welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going? Good. So glad you could join us from California. We really appreciate it. So tell us yeah, a little thanks bit. Yeah, for of, having me. No problem. Tell us a little bit about your, your start with horses. How'd that happen? Well, my mom used to ride horses, and so I just kind of been doing it since I was four or five years old and kind of grew up uh, actually doing a lot of uh, Jim Cannon rodeoing and also in Pony Club. And then um, didn't really get into eventing till I was about 15, and then I just kind of took over everything. And uh, so I'm currently uh, competing my horse CSI at the two-star intermediate level, looking to do our first advance probably in the fall. Um, and as well as having, I have a few young horses coming up as well that are owned by Terry Payne, who's our huntsman. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we've got a lot of things going on right now. <laughs> I would say we're going to be seeing yeah. her at Rolex, uh, Helena, in two years. Two <laughs> hopefully, years. Well, hopefully. <laughs> you know, there's, this is why eventers and fox hunters are, get along so well is that they have that same big heart, that good work ethic and all that energy and, you know, sometimes we put it into ourselves and our competitive careers, and sometimes we put it into the good of the hunt, the bigger picture. Yeah. So it sounds like you have a lot of energy, Chloe. Do you? Oh, yeah. Um, There's not what, a lot of sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> no, especially when you're working with hounds. Tell us a little bit about um, Santa Fe West Hills Hunt. You have, um, what's your quarry? What kind of hounds do you have? And how often do you guys go out? Well, we go, when we're hunting in the in the season, we go twice a week. Um, we hunt coyote, uh, mostly at these big cattle ranches up in uh, Mountain Center called Garner, Garner Ranch, as well as Costa Ranch and Silver Saddle. Uh, we have a pack of 26 or 13 couple of English foxhounds, as well as um, a Penn Marydale and an American Cross. And uh, they're all doing really well. We also have a bunch of puppies coming up right now. They're learning the ropes. 
Ooh, puppy and, season is so much fun. Oh, yeah. It's fun until they're about four months and then they're a little obnoxious. <laughs> they're but fresh. they're still fun. <laughs> That's when you're like, all right, it's coupling time. Where are you guys? <laughs> so yeah, exactly. You, you match up you match up the pups with um now when you match up your pups, when you couple the the, the pups with an older hound, do you tend to go with a much older hound or somebody who's sort of just hitting their peak? We go with whoever listens well, because they kind of need to be able to, and and who has a good head for it, because sometimes if they have little ears, they can flip the collar off over their head when the puppies are pulling on them. All right, and, uh, right hold so, on. You guys are going way ahead of us uh, non-fox uh, hunters. What's coupling? Oh. So coupling is how we train the puppies to um, the, the commands of the hunt. So we walk them out and exercise them in the off-season a couple times a week, so the puppies will get coupled. It's basically a collar on a puppy and a collar on an adult hound, and then a little short, about a foot long chain between them to keep oh, so them together. Oh, so it's like it's like ponying a uh, a baby along when you're trail exactly. Oh, okay. exactly, exactly. So you can say, you know, for example, our little stud dog Charlie could be coupled to a puppy, and did Charlie get back behind, and he'll pull the puppy back as well. So then the puppy starts to go, oh, that's what that means, and uh, you know, graduate them up through the the commands that way. And you recently became a kennelman, right? Yeah, I've only been doing this since um, June or July of last year. Now, was it one of those of... things where they asked for volunteers and everybody took a step back and you were stuck in the front? Or did you want to do it? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, <laughs> I've been at Kingsway Farm, where Terry Payne is out of, um, for three or four years with my event horse and kind of just riding the horses here. And I've you know, I was at that point where I was living kind of far away, just affordability wise. Terry came up to me saying, we're looking for a new kennelman. If you know of anybody, you know, this is kind of the deal and the job. And I was like, well, I need to live closer and make some money. And it works with my event schedule and that sort of thing. And so it just kind of worked out that way. He doesn't really ask me to do it, but you know, I gave it a try over summer and it, it just clicked. And, it, and, you know, I've always been an animal person and kind of known for my dog being having a million tricks and being really, really good. So it kind of worked out and clicked really easily. What it, so what's the life of a kennelman like? What do you, I know Helena probably knows this, but I don't. What, what do you do? What's your job? Uh, so basically the, the kennel is on um, three or four acres and right next to my house. So my house is there too. And I get up usually about 5.30 and clean out the kennels and feed the hounds and basically check them over every day, you know, kind of thing, make sure everybody's healthy and sound and happy. And, you know, you kind of got to be able to tell which hounds looking a little skinny and feed that, you know, be able to feed them in a skinny group and feed the fat hounds a little less. So they don't, <laughs> yeah. So we have the skinny, the, the, well, we call it the lightweights, the middleweights and the heavyweights. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. feeding accordingly as well as, you know, making sure, that all the fencing is up to date, up to par, because we, you know, they, a pack of hounds can get through just about anything in a short period of time if they want to. So, a lot of fence repairs, um, and just you know, exercising that kind of thing. And then that takes a couple hours in the morning, and then at night, you know, closing up the kennel and putting them to bed and making sure they're also happy and healthy. And you know, we do different events with the hounds, and. Uh, you know, just basically hound escort. <laughs> are they, uh, this is a question for both of you. Are they very socialized? Are they really like social to people? Well, you know, they're, they're really good with people. They know with people, new people, they can be a little bit shy and they, but they warm up. So, you know, with me and Terry, they're, you know, they're, they're practically my kids. You know, they're very happy. We play, we have fun. There's some, some pretty cute videos of us playing in the snow and <laughs> that sort of thing. Uh, but we do, we do, it's, it's not a bad thing if they're a little bit shy of other people and wary just because there, there's the event of, every once in a while some people do try to kidnap your little hounds when you're out on a hunt or something like that. So we don't necessarily want them to listen to just about anybody, you know? Yeah. But yeah. They, they listen to our whips and they listen to Terry and I, and you know, that's, and they, they're they're, they are friendly in this. They're, they're not mean is what I'm trying to say. And they're, you know, they are like kids, which is a good way to describe it. When you take care of them, you, you, it's like having a kindergarten class, you know, each hound has their own personality. They all sort of have to work together in the classroom and, you know, you're sort of wiping noses and teaching them life skills at the same time. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, exactly. Right. But the, the, uh-huh. um, one of the things I know that we did in our hunt is um, ours was a drag. So we would uh, try to make sure that, um, and I'm trying to think of the right term, which is they don't go rogue. So a hound doesn't actually go off and do his or her own thing. So what we would do is we would um, socialize the hounds with other animals, with goats and chickens and um, and things like that. Does it matter if your hounds go off on something other than coyote or is is that okay? Does it ever happen? Do they ever go off with other people or how does that work? Oh, no, they, they don't really listen to other people besides their whips. And we know, they know, you know, where hair, where, where cattle or where cur, which is a, a stray dog running around. They know all those commands and they only stay on the coyote. Um, they know it's not, not good if they go after something else. So it's pure conditioning, Every it's once pure in training. While. Yep, it's pure training. Every once in a while they might pick up a little vole or go for it as they're running along, but they don't really chase anything like that other than the, the coyote. Mm. That's convenient. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah we're, we're very strict on that just because we don't want to go running around chasing jackrabbits all over the place and silly things like that. So your, and, your and, job... Your job title then has you. You have two job titles because you're also first whipper in, which that is part of your job is to kind of make sure that the hounds stay focused. How can you describe that part of your job and how you work with hounds to that end? Yeah, um, that was kind of the biggest learning curve for me. Um, it was a little bit of a shock when we went on our first hunt, but we were actually cubbing because we had a set of puppies last year, and. Um, Terry, I had only kind of heard about what was going to happen. And then Terry gave them the cry and they took off. And I just, you know, went, ah, what do I do now? <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, it definitely was a learning curve, but now it's kind of, you know, it, it turned out pretty easily or it caught on pretty easily just because, it, you know, I can ride so I can keep up and I can figure out, it was just figuring out where I needed to be and when, you know, when to block a boundary or a fence line and when to turn the hounds away from something else or how to be able to tell if they weren't on a coyote versus, or, or, you know, if they were trying to chase a deer or something like that, how to be able to stop them quick and, you know, nip that in the bud before it got too crazy. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to, to go out and ride the train and go for a nice cruise and, uh, what just watching them work is a, is a blast. I think. It is indeed. Glenn, have you ever, um, have you ever like wheel whipped or had a chance to watch the hounds work? Yeah, well, yeah. We, we, when I'd watch you guys, when I would watch the hunt up there at uh, Myopia, I would go around and you know just watch. So I'd get to see that, and and we hilltopped some. Yeah, we had a good hill. Mm. You know, if you have a good, do you have a hilltopping field, Chloe? We have one, and it kind of um, it it curves around a mountain, and there's a road that runs along there. So there's a there's a uh, group that it can go in a car and follow along kind of thing. What what kind of terrain are you guys in? Uh, Garner is fairly flat. Uh, it's a lot of riverbed and then some kind of uh, thicker ponderosa pines. It's actually, Garner is where they filmed the opening scene to Bonanza. If you oh, remember okay. that show. Yeah. 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 So, so that's, that's kind of, that's Garner Ranch. And then Costo Silver Saddle is um, rather mountainous. And um, a lot of sagebrush and a lot of thick, uh, thick brush like that. So that one can be pretty tough for, for viewing if you're not, you know, right up with us in the first field. But it is a beautiful area. It is a fun ride, and you kind of end up catching back up to second and third field every once in a while. And they then they, you know, they get excited because they're right in the, the thick of it, um, just by how you go up and down the mountain, kind of. What what deal. what are your what are your, some of your jumps? What are, what are they like? What are they? Uh, what are you jumping? Uh, mostly uh, coops, large coops, kind of two nine ish, and then we have a few fence blinks, which are kind of the upright, you know, and those can be a little taller. But uh, but there's lots of those throughout um, Costco and Silver Saddle Garner. There's only there's not as much fence lines, so you don't have to jump too much. But there are a lot of fallen logs, and it's kind of fun to do some of those. <laughs> what going. kind of horses? Um are are best suited for this type of territory thoroughbreds or um warm bloods drafts what do you what do you guys prefer 
Uh, you know, we prefer thoroughbreds just because they, we do get on some very fast lines. Our coyotes are run real quick, and they're real smart, and they they actually do enjoy the the chase. I think a little bit because I've seen them <laughs> kind of stop and look at you and tease your hounds, and the hounds are full cry <laughs> right get behind me, them. Sucker! <laughs> and then, exactly, and they, they go love getting this, jacked up, right man. up this hill. Oh yeah, and they go watch this. I know this is a boundary, and you guys won't let them come this That's way. That's right. I see right the there. keep out sign up ahead. We're safe. <laughs> yep, exactly. And it's so funny because I, I swear we hunt the same coyote every uh, every once in a while, and <laughs> they kind of have their little path they go, and they know where you know we have to stop them. But but being that way, you know the the horses have to be able to keep up and get to you know you have to get to those boundaries like that real quick and and. Uh, the draft horses do okay, but they do get tired, and they don't—they don't quite as keep up as well as our thoroughbreds do. You think the coyotes get back to their den and they're sending emails to all their friends saying, "Yep, I fooled them again." It's the oh yeah, I'm time. sure they have a little cackle, <laughs> a little cackle back and forth about about that. So, so now I got to ask a question. If I remember right, up at up at Myopia, uh, they the 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 kennelman up there used to get scraps from all the restaurants around. Am I making that up? Helena uh, used to get. No, no. One of the things that they, that they, they did was the feed the hounds. Um, well, that recently expired meat from the local grocery stores. Yeah. yeah it was so it's still, okay. you know, it's, it's fine for them. And, um, you know, bones and everything they would put okay, it in the any dog would kill for that. <laughs> yeah. Only these guys didn't have to, that was what, yeah. And, and you know, it changes from huntsman to huntsman. What they prefer to feed their, their hounds. What do you, feed, what do you guys Chloe? feed Chloe? Uh, you know, they're on a, in the off season, they're on a lower fat, just kibble and we wet it down. And then in the, in the hunt season, they're on a real high fat, high protein, keep them stocky because it does get chilly and it does they do run a lot and hard um so it's just it's just a kind of a plain kibble kind of thing (laughs) but they've the formulas are so sophisticated these days um i remember being at the virginia hound show two years ago and having a discussion with um a huntsman who was really putting a lot of thought into um the formula of the kibble and Uh kibble just is easier when you've got all these dogs to feed essentially you you uh, Kibble is, you know, financially practical. Um, yeah. But the formulas are so specific that you can do things like make it a high-fat diet for six months and then change it and, you know, play with your protein and stuff. Um, so that's I'm, – I'm assuming that's what you mean when you say that. You you can kind of tweak yeah, the nutrition. Yeah, we vary it as, like as their exercise changes, just, just as you would with a horse. And, you know, when they're running a training or prelim, they're not in – not as on, not on as much grain and, you know, protein kind of stuff. And then when they're going to go run a two star, you're, you're packing them with, with stuff that yeah. high energy. Uh, no, they're hard to keep weight on. I mean, if I had like a, a dime for everybody who said that, how does so skinny? Mine do pretty well. They're with that lightweight, middleweight, heavyweight formula. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can, we control that. And then, you know, if we get a skinny, we have a couple that uh, tend to get skinnier in the hunt season, so they get an extra feeding in the nighttime. Is there a and, uh, lazy skinny group that you put like five-hour energy drinks in their water uh, <laughs> to get them going? Yeah. Uh, do you have that group it's too? Usually, it's usually the tubby group that is the lazy ones for us. <laughs> <laughs> They're the ones that are kind of loping along and wanting to keep up. we got a couple um, pups that are a little bit like that or first-year Going, Oh, man, i got to go run again? <laughs> <laughs> and they, I think they're... they're you know, they could come back next year and be just right up there with the group and be greater. But we'll see how they go. But uh, so I have a, our, ch- our tubby ones. <laughs> I have an interesting question for you. Do you think that mm-hmm. running in the hunt has helped your cross-country in eventing? Or do you think that eventing has helped you in the hunt? Which has been more one way or the other? You know, I think that eventing has really helped my jumping in the hunt field because I can... I do know how to gallop a fence, you know, gallop, rebalance, jump it and keep on galloping without making this big, you know, oh, get them back, get them back, you know, and then biff it over the fence. Um, it, you know, it's that part, the eventing has helped my hunting and in just kind of letting the horse gallop in the hunt field, you know, where you're not micromanaging every little step they take, that part has helped my eventing, you know, where I can just let them cruise and I don't have to worry about, Oh, how, how is he galloping? How's his friend? You know, they know how to gallop. If you can just kind of get them on that nice long and long step, they're fine. And you can leave them alone almost, you know, 
So I think they've kind of helped each other in their own sense. Hmm. Uh, in my opinion, anyway, that's definitely what I've seen. <laughs> you know, let's get back to eventing here and then we'll let you go uh, take care of the hounds. Um, who do you work with? Who's your coach out there in the West Coast? Yeah, I'm working with uh, James Atkinson right now. Yeah. He's a Canadian of uh, Yeah, Canadian sure. Eventer. We've had James on our shows many times. Oh, right on. Yeah. yeah. He's been helping me a lot. And he, I have a, my horse CSI. He's a Holsteiner and I sport horse. And uh, his line of Holsteiners tends to be pretty strong headed. And mine was a stallion until he was almost five, anyways, as well. So he's, He's a uh, quite tricky, and James really just understands him, and that that's hard for a lot of different coaches I've worked with to to quite get. And uh, he just clicked. And then uh, we also had the pleasure of having a uh, Sarah Mitlider and her uh, her group down here for the winter because they're from up up in Idaho, and she's really helped my dressage a lot with with my young horses especially. Uh, so it's but there's a whole group of trainers on in the Temecula area and it's it's really nice to just kind of be able to just go five minutes down the road and get lessons with all these top-notch trainers isn't holly bennett out there too wasn't she in that area or was she further uh, she north? is in that area she's uh she's just across galway downs from us that's what i thought yeah okay yeah very good. Well, Chloe, it's been a pleasure to get to know you. We're going to be looking for you at Rolex. Two years I gave you, so uh, 2017 yeah, we'll, we'll we want to see you there, right? So, All right. We'll keep working on it. Yeah, you keep doing that. You're a two-star. You only got two more stars, and then you're there. Yeah, exactly. We'll just do a couple <laughs> two-stars next year. We'll be good to go. That makes stars. it sound easy, right, Helena? Just two yeah. more stars, and you're there. Well, hey. <laughs> All you gotta do is kick and pull, right? Sometimes you <laughs> yeah. kick, sometimes you pull, sometimes you gotta do both. <laughs> I, there's the quote of the show. All you gotta do is, is kick and pull. <laughs> I told that to my trainer at my first preliminary. We're going out the start box, and she just about died. <laughs> That's great. Hey, you know what? If you simplifying it, always works. Doesn't matter what you simplify it it's, down it's, to. Exactly. We, you know, some, sometimes we get ourselves into trouble when we overcomplicate and overthink things. You just simplify yep. it, man. <laughs> uh, if I'm out hunting, you know what I do? Just grab mane and go. That's all I say. Yeah, simplify exactly. It. You, you got a good horse go. most of the time. They'll, they know what to do. <laughs> totally. Uh, that, that's definitely going to be the quote of the week at the Horse Radio Network. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Hey, quote me on that one. That's for sure. That's the one. Done. <laughs> Thank you, Chloe. Awesome. If you want to learn more about the hunt, it's Santa Fe, S-A-N-T-A-F-E, hunt.com. You can see you can see Chloe's picture right there with the hounds. And uh, congratulations and good luck. Thank you, guys, and thank you for having me. Well, coming up next is our part four of the Bide Meeting Deworming Series, Deworming 101. And we're going to uh, get to that right now. Well, Glenn, back with you from the Horse Radio Network. And I have Dr. Ellison back with me. And he is the Director of Technical Services at Bimeda Incorporated. And, of course, we're talking in our continuing series about deworming. And we've covered many different topics over the last couple of months. Today, Dr. Ellison, I thought we would cover tapeworms uh they're the biggest and nastiest so uh what's the what a, what is a tapeworm well you know a tapeworm is a uh is a different class of uh of parasite uh and i think most people are familiar with tapeworms they've seen the little segments uh maybe uh, on their dog or cat uh uh, the equine tapeworm is different uh, in, in that you don't see tapeworm segments ever or hardly ever in the uh, manure or, or uh, around the uh, tail. Uh, they have an interesting life cycle, uh, which is why we see them throughout the entire United States to varying degrees. Um, the tapeworm is going to lay an egg, and uh, there's a small insect that's uh, very common, called a grain mite or, or a batted mite, that uh, feeds on the manure and and uh, picks up the eggs. And then the baby tapeworms, if you will, hatch within that insect. But then that insect is in hay and grass, and as the horse eats that, it picks up the insect, and those, uh, those baby tapeworms are released, and, uh, and they go to that 
particular area of the GI tract where they live and attach and turn into adults, which start passing out segments that contain eggs, and the life cycle is completed. Um, you know, they're, they really didn't pay a lot of attention to tapeworms for a long time, and about 10 years ago or so, we, we started noticing uh, certain types of colic were highly related and, and correlated to tapeworm infection in those horses. Uh, spasmodic colic, we would see about one in five spasmodic colics had a high tapeworm load, and uh, a condition called ileal impaction, which is an impaction of the last part of the small intestine before it uh, goes into the cecum and large bowel in the horse. Uh, impaction of that area, we'd find uh, four out of five horses with that condition had high tapeworm loads. And lastly, uh, a condition with a kind of a complicated name uh, called ileocecal intussusception, which means the small bowel is telescoping inside of the cecum, the large blind-ended sac that correlates to our appendix. Um, in those cases, 100% of those particular conditions have tapeworm infestation. So we now know that, you know, several types of colic are directly related to horses with, with tapeworms. Now, what, uh, what damage can they do? It, obviously, the impaction you just talked about, is there other things that, that they do? You know, um, the impaction and the colics are the are the major things that we're concerned about. And you know, the thought is that uh, because those tapeworms are attached with hooks uh, and are feeding in that area, that they actually are affecting the nerves to the uh, to the gastrointestinal tract, and they're uh, interrupting the normal movement of materials, and that's why. That's why we get impactions and the intussusception and the different things that we've already talked about. I know I looked it up on Google and looked at the images section and I regretted it. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do that again. So so now I do know that with uh, dewormers, you really have to look for uh, a dewormer that covers tapeworms. And in, in by media's case, what, what what would we be looking for? Uh, Equimax is the product you'd be looking for. A, a dewormer needs to contain Quantel. That's the active ingredient that the dewormer needs to contain in order to be effective against uh, tapeworms. In Equimax's case, it's uh, of the three products on the market that control tapeworms, and Equimax also has the widest uh, safety margin, safety approval margin uh, of the three products that are approved for tapeworms in that you can use it in lactating mares, pregnant mares, breeding stallions, or foals as young as one month of age. And I, I like the way the website is set up at bymedaequine.com. When you go to the Equimax page, you guys are really specific about what things cover, and all the details are on the website, including charts, which makes it very easy to compare it to other products as well. Well, thank you. Yeah, we've, we've put a lot of effort into that and tried to make it as easy for the horse owner as possible. I know some of your competition, you can't, you were talking about pregnant and lactating mares and, and their products are, you know, are not recommended for that or the foals. You really do have uh, one of the products that has one of the widest coverages that way. Correct. That is, that's true. Uh, we're very proud of that fact. And that's Equimax for tapeworms. Of course, there's many other different products. You can find them all at buymediaequine.com. And just go on there. They have all kinds of sections on there from deworming plans to paras which parasites are which. Uh, if you want to see some nasty pictures, they probably will provide you with that too. Then uh, all the different equine products they have, which are a number of them. So you can find out all the details to all of them at buymediaequine.com. Thank you so much, Dr. Ellison, or Dr. Dave, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. It's been a pleasure. Up next is our Tack and Habit segment, and it is sponsored by Chasing a Fox in a Little Black Dress. You can find them online at www.chasingafox.com. Well, 
Well, the Tack and Habit segment today I've got for you was prompted by a listener email. And uh, and one of our sponsors is involved in this, too, because I've been testing the product on it. Well, the listener, Donna, wanted to know what we do for scratches. Because I mentioned in a show that my pony scooter has scratches. Uh, and for those that don't know, they that's something they get down around their ankles and the back of their ankles there above their feet. And they can look at one of two ways. They can look like little long cracks in their skin in the little pink part, or they can look like circles, uh, like uh, dry, cracky circles. Um, Scooter tends to get the long, narrow ones. They come from being in damp soil all the time. And they have a bunch of different names. Uh, Veterinarians will call them greasy heel, mud fever, dew poisoning is very popular. And they they get it. It's kind of a dermatitis that they get. And it's uh, it's usually... well, it's caused by an infection of either bacteria or, or fungi, and they're usually involved. Uh, and it's, as I said, it's on the heels. Sometimes they're warm, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they ooze, sometimes they don't. Look at me talking about health stuff. Yeah, no kidding. Like with, like you know what you're talking about. I know, so. Well, I do. I have a pony with uh, scratches, and we're very dewy here in the morning. It's very wet in Florida, of course. So you know he tends to have the problem, and you know they can get crusty and scabby too. Well, I'm going to just tell you what works for my pony. I'm not going to tell you that'll work for yours, okay? Uh, okay. But what has worked for my pony because he's had them since we got him two years ago, and they come and go, and it depends on like what, it got dry over the winter here, and then his scratches. He didn't have. But as soon as rainy season began, then he started getting the scratches again. And he doesn't get them bad. There'll be one or two of those cracks uh, on maybe both the back feet or one of the feet in the front and one in the back. Not always on all four at the same time. So they come and go and they're very random. We've tried a number of different things over time to get rid of them and, and tried a number of different ointments and all this stuff. And, you know, we use Dr. Rose's remedies for a lot of other things, for cuts and bruises. And, and uh, you know, we use it on ourselves for, I use Dr. Rose's when we get the fire ant bites, which are horrendous and itch for a week. Uh, yeah, oh, man, and we got a lot of fire ants this year. We're not quite sure why. It's more than more than usual. So I use them on the fire ant bites because you always have a fire ant bite down here on your legs, and it they really work. It really does take the pain out, and it makes them heal faster. The doctor rose, and I thought, well, let's try them. Let's try it on the scratches of the dew poisoning on the pony. And I got to tell you, in three days. I will. I got the spray kind from Dr. Rose's, and you can get it in a spray or a gel. And mm. you could use either one. It doesn't matter. But I just spray it on. I rub it in good where the scratches are. But the key is, and this is where a lot of people get in trouble, you have to clean the area first. Make sure the area is clean. And what we do is we take actually take some alcohol, put it on a towel, and I take the towel and I go back and forth on the heel. I'll have him pick his foot up. And I just go back and forth like you're polishing a shoe or a boot, mm-hmm. back and forth on the back of the heel. You, the towel just stays right in that little indentation. Go back and forth. You're like polishing the back. And <sighs> then when you look at it, it's nice and clean. It's shiny. And then you put the Dr. Roses on. You have to do that every time you apply. And I've seen so many people just apply layer on layer, and they don't clean it. That is not helping you. Um, it's not your friend. So when we do that, in two or three days, the thing's healing up. The other thing you'll hear mixed... Uh, some people say one thing is to take the scabs off. Some people say leave it on. We leave our scabs on. I do not take the scabs off. Now, if they rub off when I'm doing the cleaning thing, that's fine. But I don't peel them off. Okay. But then I don't peel them off of me either. So uh, I've just <laughs> never been a scab peeler. I know there's a lot of people that just peel off scabs and just are into that. I'm not. So we leave them on, and then we apply the Dr. Roses, and we very seldom get scars or or anything doing it that way. So... They heal in two or three days. I apply it for another two, three days. Just make sure, and then they're done. There are people that fight with this for months trying to get rid of the scratches. I don't know if you get them up where you are. Uh, um, we've had a couple of hunt horses that got them, and once they get them, like, it's just, it's horrible. They, they last for months and months and on, and it's a battle every single time. You got to shave the area. You got to clean the area. You got to beta dine the area. Then you got to start all over again because you think you got it, but you really didn't. Yeah. Well, I, I've been worked, there, but I'm it's not been a saying while. it's going to work for for you all out there. But what's worked for me is the Doctor Roses, and I don't do anything else. I just clean the area with like some alcohol and a towel, make sure it's scrubbed real good, and then spray it. I do that once a day. 
and that's and then in three days they've been gone and uh, he won't get them back then in that same area he might get them in a different area uh but that one's healed and uh then you know i've had weeks and weeks and weeks where he hasn't had any and then we'll get another one back and i'll treat that one but it also depends on how wet we are you know like florida literally yesterday during a thunderstorm we had last night in two hours we got three inches of rain and and then this morning it's all gone. You would never tell it rained. Um, but that's what will happen. We'll get that those downpours every day. So, yeah, we, uh, we get it. It's a problem that we have down here. Jennifer's horse doesn't get it. My pony does, of course. Okay. So now I have to deal with it. <laughs> well, he's so, a pony. Yeah, exactly. Everything's going to be twice as hard. <laughs> exactly. So I hope, Donna, that helped you out. I hope, uh, you know, if you want to give that a try, you can. Different people have different remedies. There's some homemade remedies out there I know people have tried and just different things. I just wanted to let you know what worked for me. So that's it. I like it. Dr. Rose's right. Remedies. You can find it at drrosesremedies.com. You can either get the spray or the, and it lasts you a long, long time. I've been on the same bottle for a The bottle is breaking before the stuff in it is gone. So that's how long I've had this bottle. Well, I love that there's there's a spray. I'm, I have the little jar that I'm, I always have Dr. Rose's somewhere. And you know what? It used to be in my barn for my horses. And then I snurched it and put it in my bathroom. <laughs> right, for you. Because it works on cuts and stuff, doesn't it? It works really on everything. I mean, Grace would be like, Mom, I have a cut. you know, And it's like, where? It's like one of those things. But you slap it on and it, it makes kids' boo-boos go away. It it does everything. Like One of the things that I get a lot is um my cuticles are just shredded from sticking my hands and I have to feed one of my horses hay cubes. So I'm always like sticking mm-hmm. my hand in a bucket full of hay, dry hay cubes and it yep. just shreds my cuticles. I come inside, I wash my hands real good. Um, I pat them dry and then I slap uh, Dr. Rose's on them. And honestly, those cuticles heal up like in 24 hours. It's crazy. But that, yep. that's like, I can't live without it for that little reason. There's, if my horse comes down with scratches, of course, it'll, the jar will go back to the barn. But for now, it's mine. Mine, mine. And, you know, we can't, we're not doctors. We can't recommend Dr. Roses for humans. But, uh, you know, uh, what do we know? We're just a couple of schmucks to do a radio show. So take it or leave it. <laughs> I speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> One schmuck and a girl who does a radio show. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Put your pitchforks down. Put, did you ever watch, did you ever see that movie Young Frankenstein? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Long time and ago. That, long time ago. What's her name was... Um, Terry Gar starred in it oh, with yeah. uh, Gene Wilder. Is Terry Gar still yeah. around? Yes, yes, she is. She is. How old is she now? Oh, she's got to be in her late fifties, sixties. Oh, I just yeah, looked it up. She's born in forty-seven. All so, right, so that makes her sixty. What? Seven? Sixty? Your math is better than mine. Seven? Yeah, she's sixty-seven. Wow, Terry Gar's sixty-seven. Yeah. You know, anybody under 40 is now going, who the hell is Terry Gar? <laughs> I have I no know, idea. I know. Well, anyway, she was in this movie with Gene Wilder and it was hysterical. It was like this um, Mel Brooks, Blazing Saddles type of take on Frankenstein, you know? So there's this scene in it where she, you, maybe you should just go look at the clip. <laughs> <laughs> he tells, she's kind of dense and he tells her, you know, put the candle back. You got to watch it. You got to watch the movie. Young Frankenstein is one of those classic comedies that you you have to see. Terry Gar is actually much funnier than she ever got credit for in that movie. So now, where how did I get on that? Blazing Saddles. Oh my god, I watched part of that again the other day, and I was still laughing. Oh, how how did we get on? I I don't know. How do we get on? I started to say something (laughs) to you, and then that was. I don't know. Well, let's let's wrap it up. Uh, You can find Helena at. You can find me actually at Flirting With The World. I've been doing some blogging there, flirtingwiththeworld.com. Or you can send me an email at the Horse Radio Network. My email address is helena at horseradionetwork.com. Let me put in a plug, too, for the driving radio show this week. Excuse me. It was our four-year anniversary that Wendy, believe it or not, that Wendy and I have been doing that show. And we had a fun show. We just chatted about different stuff. And then Wendy had a kind of a surprise for me. She looked up, uh, she was here over the weekend and got to drive Scooter, my hackney pony rescue, and was like, she looked at him and said, I think he's one of the old school hackneys because he's so stocky. He's not real fine like the new hackneys are. He said, I think his bloodlines date back to the old school hackneys. And she contacted Barry Dickinson, who's an expert at everything. 
course. He's just like a yeah. walking encyclopedia. And he came on and, and explained all about uh, the heritage of, of my pony and also of the hackney pony in general. And we got into this very fun conversation because he just knows everything about everything. And it was a lot of fun. So if you want to hear that, head over to drivingradioshow.com and uh, four years for that show. That's awesome. Yeah, it's hard to believe. I mean, it doesn't seem like we've been doing that show for four years, but it's 2011 we started, so it really has been. So thank you to Wendy for for hanging out with me for all those years. Really appreciate it. We had fun over the weekend with her here, and she helped. She gave me a driving lesson, my first one ever. So uh, that was your first driving lesson. Yeah, first my first driving lesson in 30 years. Uh, Were you like, oh my god, I I thought I knew what I was doing, but I don't? Or were were you pretty much okay? She said, I don't know what to say to you. You're pretty much doing everything right. I said, well, that's luck because I had. Oh, that's awesome! I just did it. You know, we kind of just took riding and converted it to driving and got lucky, I guess. So she just helped me with a something. Tells me that Jennifer had a hand in that. And, you know, Jennifer had never gotten driving lessons before either, but we did have a couple adjustments to make on the harness, and she showed us how to do some things that we didn't know how to do. And uh, the scooter was so good over the weekend for the drives. He was so good, and she was so impressed, and she said, you guys are doing great. So I was very happy. That made me happy. I was nervous. I was actually nervous. I know. It's, that's, well, that's when Jennifer teaches me. I'm like, I get all nervous and I mess up and I start thinking things. Over This is what we were saying, talking to Chloe about, you know, our problem is we get all nervous and we overthink stuff. Sometimes we just got to strip our stuff down to simple. What is it? Kick and pull? That's right. Pull and kick? <laughs> we all got to remember that one. That was really good. Yeah. I remember that. You can't really kick in a carriage, but you can stomp your feet a little. <laughs> Well, that was fun. Fun show. Thank you so much, Helena. We will see you all back here again next week. Until then, happy scooping.